This podcast is brought to you by Lacrosse All Stars, growing the game one podcast at a time. This is Cassie, and you are listening to a brand new episode of Outside the Eight. Just a few weeks ago, I was in Denver visiting with some friends and had the chance to meet with a couple of people lacrosse-related and do a little recording of a couple of podcast episodes. This week's guest is Lauren Benner. Lauren is originally from Annapolis, and she played lacrosse at UVA. Then she moved to Denver and was at Denver University for a few years coaching and then went to Louisville. Now she is back in Denver. She is head coach at Valor Christian High School and the uh, director of Colorado Girls Lacrosse Association. She's doing a ton for the sport in Colorado and has a lot of insight and knowledge to the game because she also is an official. So when it comes to new rules and how the game has changed, she really does see it from all angles. I'm really excited about this conversation as well because we dive into a story that um, happened about 10 years ago and it's pertinent to the timing of right now because um, we are going to talk about uh, the tragic loss of Yardley Love who was a player at University of Virginia. She was tragically killed um, in the midst of their senior season and it is a very sad story. Um, and since then, the uh, One Love Foundation was founded in her honor and does a lot to raise awareness um, about domestic violence, violence in relationships, and does a lot to kind of help educate the um, especially college population on how to manage uh, difficult times in relationships and if you're experiencing abuse or any type of um, kind of adversity amidst your loved one. So we talk about that and I wanted to release this episode this week because uh, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month and it seemed pertinent to the time Um, and I I think it's just a really important thing for us to remember not only the story of Yardley and you know the whole experience of of what Lauren had to go through and her teammates um, amidst their senior season but just in general, you know, it's kind of a sad tone in that moment. But overall, this episode has a lot of really good stuff. I really enjoyed my conversation with Lauren. And I think it's so important that we share these stories, that we acknowledge, you know, the the things in, in girls lacrosse that are shifting and, and could change and should change. And um, as the growth continues to be more open to that, especially in areas like Colorado, where the growth of the game has stagnated in some ways and there's a lot of opportunity. Um, So that's all I have. Sorry, this is a little bit of a longer intro. I just wanted to give that preface. Um, I'll go into a little bit more in my fact check at the end, but enjoy the episode with Lauren. Thanks. All right, we are here today with Lauren Benner. How are you? Good, thank you. How's it going? <laughs> Good. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I'm really excited to learn all about you and hear some of your stories. And you've been on such a um, like the coaching circuit for a number of years now, so I think there's a lot to dive into there. Absolutely. Um, how are you doing? Good. Thanks. It's yeah. been a fun little fall here in Denver. Things are rolling with lacrosse as always, so yes, and it never stops. Monday here, Monday morning, and it is a little, little chilly out. Mm-hmm. Are you a winter person? Do I you? am. I love to ski. Okay. Any, I mean, truly any season in Colorado. They always say that people come for the winter, stay for the summers. Yeah, that's definitely the case um, for me. But I love to ski, so I'm excited. There is uh, snow in the forecast down here in I Denver heard. for yes. next Monday. So. We'll see. It's already like snowing up and in the mountains. Yeah. Um, well, I'm freezing because I'm not used yeah. to this. Um, but no, this is awesome. Um, so 
kind of just starting out, what's the quick story on your lacrosse journey? Quick and, and dirty and, version. Yeah. yeah. Where are you from? Yeah. And kind of how lacrosse come into your life? Absolutely. So I'm from Annapolis, Maryland. Many, many people play lacrosse mm-hmm. and know that as the capital of the lacrosse world, Annapolis, Baltimore. Uh, so grew up with a stick in my hand. My parents were both college athletes, so they had me and my sisters in every sport imaginable. Um, But lacrosse was definitely the one that stuck the most. I think ever since I was like a ball girl at a University of Maryland game in the fourth grade, I was like, I want to go to Maryland. I want to go to Maryland and went through the recruiting process and Maryland was on the list. Um, But I ultimately decided to go to the University of Virginia wanted to go to an ACC school. I think many people growing up in kind of the mid-Atlantic area, ACC mm-hmm. lacrosse is what you live, breathe, and die for wow. and is kind of the ultimate goal, and that certainly was mine, um, shared also by many. But yeah. um, chose to go to the University of Virginia, had an awesome experience there. I had registered my second year, um, and then when it came down to grad school, I wanted to go into communications. I was a media studies minor, and wanted to pursue that more um, in my grad work, mm-hmm. but UVA didn't have a communications program, which is kind of crazy if you think for yeah. like a big state school, it's they don't have a communications program. So was exploring other options, ultimately landed on the University of Denver, was admitted, um, came out the summer after my fourth year, worked camp for um, Coach Liza, and just to see if it was a right fit, mm-hmm. kind of a little interview process. And after the conclusion of the camp, she offered me a spot on the team. So. Mm-hmm. Gladly accepted that, packed my bags, moved out here with two of my friends from home, and then one of my friends that I played with at Virginia. So the four of us um, were off on this new adventure, and then Whoa, fast that's forward. really cool. I know. I know. We, me and Aloe, so Aloe is the girl that I played with at Virginia, who's still currently living out here. Okay. Um, we, her brother went to DU, okay. and so one winter we came out to ski, and we were like, we're moving here after we graduate, yeah. and then couple years later we were like do you want to do it I was like well I just got into grad school and she's like cool like I'm applying for all these jobs and she got a job and it's very rare I think that you set out like this um you know ambition to achieve something or to go somewhere and it ultimately falls into line and so this was like a perfect scenario so played there for a year had a second year of grad school Liza asked me to be the volunteer assistant I was like absolutely i love this. I loved coaching. I always in the summers was coaching for club team or, um, college camps, whatever it was. And so I was definitely wanting to test the waters with the idea of getting into college coaching after I finished my master's. Loved that. And, um, was fortunate enough that both assistant coaches moved on after my, um, volunteer assistant year and Liza offered me a spot, um, full-time on her staff. So that kind of was a segue into my college coaching, coached there for another full three or four years, um, then moved on to the University of Louisville, came back to Denver, and now I'm currently um, at Valor Christian High School, which is south of Denver. Wow. And coaching there, so. Yeah, what a journey. Yep. Um, I feel like there's so many things to, that, like portions of your life that have been um, like inclusive of lacrosse and then if obviously now I've taken you here. Yep. Um, that's really cool. So I love that you were saying you kind of like from the beginning knew you wanted to play in college and like always yeah. had that goal in mind. Yeah. Cause I actually don't think that that's, especially coming from the West coast, like you either don't think it's possible or you don't think that, you know, you could really play for a program, you know, a high level program. Um, but for you, it was kind of like, no, I'm like, I'm I, doing this. I know I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so what was, was that like, did you have a lot of pressure? Was it, did, were you very specialized in lacrosse from an early age? Um, I was a three sport varsity athlete okay, in high school. So I was very balanced. I was a competitive swimmer as well. So I swam year round club swimming from fourth grade through my junior year of high school. So actually in high school for three of the four years, I played mm-hmm. two club sports outside of um, my high school. And so fall, I was on soccer, winter swimming, spring lacrosse. Um, Swimming, as far as like the club stuff, it's definitely more heavy throughout the like winter months. Mm-hmm. Um, was able to take a step back during the spring during my high school season, and then in the summer was long course, which I was able to kind of like take a step back as well, knowing that I wasn't going to be pursuing swimming in college. Okay. Um, but my parents. I don't know. They definitely wouldn't let us kids just be like, oh, we want to do one thing. We always had That's to be good. doing something. And I think they were really instrumental in 
us having balance and not being focused on one thing. Um, so I definitely have to pay them credit yeah. for that. So, yeah. Are you finding that the youth you're coaching now are focusing earlier on one sport? Absolutely. I think the recruiting, just the calendar has changed when we were in high school in the fall. Like right now, November, you have those three weekends leading into Thanksgiving mm-hmm. that kids are at tournaments every single weekend. Um, and I think Locally? for us... Are you no, traveling? they're traveling, which is crazy. That's the other thing for kids out here. I mean, we were in Maryland, yeah. right? We're driving... 30 minutes to maybe five hours if we're going up to um, Long Island or whatever for a tournament. But out here, I mean, these kids are on a plane like all the time, every week in the summer, every weekend in November. So it's definitely a lot of a difference there. And financially, I think for families, it's a bigger strain. But I mean, when we were in high school going through the recruiting stuff, fall was all about getting on campus and just doing like 4v4 tournaments and little prospect days versus these big huge tournament weekends like yeah yeah, back to back to back so we didn't have that um I don't think pressure during the academic year to really be pursuing schools as hard and you know actively as Mm -hmm. the girls have to now in order to make sure that they're on college coaches radars I don't think that's unique to lacrosse I've got you know a player um that plays for me that does DA soccer and that's crazy hearing about Mm -hmm. her schedule that she has to do with that um so it's it's interesting to learn just from the girls that I coach now what the other sports are and and why they pulled away from other sports and it seems that the commitment at the club level is the reason that kids just decide to quit things altogether is because the what the demands are they aren't able to meet um or what their desire it just isn't lining up does that make sense yeah it's you know what they want out of it and what's being demanded of them is not on the same level and so they just end up stopping because there's no kind of in between there's no just Mm -hmm. okay well you know I want to keep playing this because I love it but it's not the sport that I'm trying to pursue in college and it's like well where do I fit in in what offerings there are. Yeah. I played three sports too in high school, but then I always like kind of at the beginning of high school, I was kind of like, if I'm going to play a sport in college, I think lacrosse is going to be it. Yeah. Um, I, but coming from a place where lacrosse wasn't super popular or well known, I didn't know at what level I could actually aspire to. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think is so great about now, you know, with the growth of lacrosse on the Western side of the U S that, I think girls are, they can see those opportunities. Like yeah. literally they can go to games and yep. be like, I could play there. Yeah. Um, so it kind of opens the, the opportunity, I think up a little bit, but was it really competitive where you're from? Like between like lacrosse programs and everything? Like was that? It was, but growing up in Annapolis versus Baltimore is like really different. Okay. I, I don't, I think people outside of Maryland or outside of that immediate area oh, don't yeah. assume or know that they just assume that it's, the same thing. Right. People are like, oh, you're from Annapolis. Oh, you're from Baltimore. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, they're completely different. I went to a private school, so all the schools that we played were Baltimore schools, with the exception of um, one other that was in mm-hmm. the Annapolis area. But but you're playing in a top But you're league, playing a top, yes. Like, and But the club scene is so different. The dynamic of the club scene is so different in Annapolis than it was. There was one club when I was growing up mm-hmm. and playing. Um, and then maybe my sophomore-ish year of high school, a little one kind of broke off. Um, but it was, there was no tension filled. It just was, it was, it just was. Um, and there was never any ill blood. But now it's like, okay, there's four or five clubs just in the Annapolis area. Yeah. Um, there's definitely more athletes to, you know, supply demand. I think there's more kids that are playing even in a place that was so saturated back then, mm-hmm. but there's definitely a lot more tension filled. We didn't, I didn't get or you know, get the privilege, yeah. the exact opposite of that, um, of having to do that. Cause I know that a lot of kids, I mean, it's just so dramatic. The club world can be when kids are trying to pick. Yeah. Um, well, and then you grew up down the street from Maryland and yeah, I'm like you're seeing that. And yeah. Um, so you're a goalie. Yep. Um, Goalies are so cool to me because <laughs> I like cool. I get a lot of other things um, because it's a really tough position. It is obviously and so important and such a backbone. Yeah. Um, so when you were entering UVA, what was kind of your transitional experience? And um, obviously, there's only one goalie on the field. So yep. kind of how did that work out for you? Yeah, I think it's it's a very mentally challenging position to be in 
I think that um, it can be overwhelming at times. Certainly, I think the biggest adjustment for me going from high school to college is just the speed of the game, Mm -hmm. being able to track the ball, follow the ball, um, Mm -hmm. the pace of the shot. Placement is obviously, you know, significantly better at the college level. Um, I sat behind two goalies. Um, Kendall McBrady was the one that was playing over me. my first year and she is just like a saint she is an awesome person and Sarah the other goalie is the exact same I'm so close with them and I think the unity amongst the three of us and the respect that we had for each other makes it easy to to be able to realize where you you know where your place is and knowing that they support you you support them whoever's on the field come game day you are happy for that person. Kendall was a better goalie than me my freshman year. I mean, she's insane. She's um, just a crazy athlete. She was on the U.S. team for a number of years. Um, I was so privileged to be able to play under her because I learned so much from her. So my first year, I mean, I didn't go in expecting to play. Mm -hmm. Um, And so not that it was, I wasn't aspiring to play, but I think when you're coming in knowing that you're coming in behind you know, the U.S. goalie and somebody who has now started for two years on the team already. It's, you know, my dreams were not shattered that first year. Yeah, that's um, good. Yeah. And then that you second year. You had something year, to work up to. Yeah, there was something to work up to. Um, and then that second year was my redshirt year. So third year and fourth year I started. Um, so I had, it felt good. Like I felt good about my place on the mm-hmm. team. And like I said, that camaraderie amongst the three of us goalies, um, was so significant and played such a big role in my positive experience, um, on the team, I yeah. guess you could say. Did you redshirt so that you would have the more of eligibility? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, because there wasn't like a starting position. Right. Of- so I knew I wasn't going to play over Kendall. Um, and the coaches brought me in and were just like, would you be open to this? And I was like, absolutely. That is something I would love to do. So what does that mean? So that means you train with the team or no? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So everything is the exact same. You just don't play in games. Okay. You just don't. So yes. your practices, you were able to play. Yeah. Everything. So yeah. is that almost like a good way to just develop confidence because you didn't have the pressure of playing a game or what was that like? I think I don't think that's a common thing. No, it's not as common because typically, yeah, people are, um, redshirting because of injury. injury. And so there's a reason that they're not on the field. They physically aren't capable of being on the field. I think for me, it was something that it brought such excitement knowing that I would have three years to play after that it didn't phase me. And I was, again, fortunate enough, the people that were in my life on that team, Amy Appelt was a volunteer assistant that year. So a lot of practices, we would go down to the other end and I would take our top attackers and Amy, or I wouldn't take them, Amy would take us. Uh, She was a coach, but would take us to the other end and we would shoot. And so I was just getting this awesome training during practice that was invaluable to, you know, my development. And so that piece I was grateful for and recognized why I'm doing this and that it's making me better so that when my time to step on the field as a starting goalie comes, I'll be ready, I'll be prepared, and I'll be able to react to the shots that um, are going to be coming my way. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. I feel like it could also lead to like resentment or be feeling like you're doing this for nothing yeah. for a year, you know, yeah. you're not getting the chance to actually, if you're like... Yeah, I think it's easier that way than, you know... Being on the bench, being like, am I going to get in? Am yes, I not going to get that's in? that's very like, true. Am I good enough? Am I not good enough? At least Here, you know. Yeah, at least I know. <laughs> it's like, well, definitely not getting in. Yeah. Um, and it gave you opportunity to play for two programs. Right. And, like, yes, which led me to where I am, which is, yeah. you know, nothing I could have. And I think at that time when you transferred to Denver, like, they were kind of pushing the envelope of being top in the MPSF. Yep. Um. Yeah, they had a very successful year, my fourth year, which was appealing to me to be able to come into a program like that. And then to continue to impact and see to where they are now, which is, you know, making it to the Sweet 16 a number of times and um, pushing boundaries as far as a program goes. That's really cool. Um, So you experienced probably one of the, like, most difficult things a team would have to go through um, when you were in college. And I remember this story because I was a freshman in college, mm-hmm. um, but you lost a teammate in a very, very tragic way. Yep. Um, so if you're able to speak to that a little yeah. bit, I think it's a really important story to share. Yes. Yeah. I don't, a lot of people, if you weren't kind of in the world or in playing in college or from Virginia at that time, you may not have heard about it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it is crazy how many people 
the second I say I played at Virginia, you're like, oh, do you know the girl Yardley? And then I tell them, yes, she was my classmate. We were good friends. You know, we were on the team for all four years together. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then it's like the conversation just ends there. And when it first happened, it was really hard to talk about because I didn't know, you don't know how to like, it's not even controlling your emotions, but what's the right reaction? Like, am I supposed to act sad? Am I supposed to now try to educate people? What am I supposed to do? And now it's a lot easier to discuss because um, I think one of the impact the One Love Foundation has had on the community on a national level, the NFL has really um, helped promote that organization and it's become very well known. And I think that makes it relatable to other people that when I bring up the fact that, yes, she was my classmate, then they're like, don't know what to say. And then I can just segue right into um, what awesome things the foundation is doing. But it definitely was difficult. to talk about it first. And yeah. I had a friend that was studying abroad. Oh gosh, where was she? Maybe Paris. And she like got to internet, shot me a phone call and was like, Hey, what's going on? First off, I love you, but like your face is in people magazine. Yeah. Like what the heck happened? And I told her about it and she was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I hate that I'm, you know, can't drive down to UVA to see you. Yeah. Um, it was definitely a whirlwind. That was just a couple weeks before graduation. Yeah. So graduation was just like a total mess. There's just so much press around and we weren't yeah. allowed to wear anything UVA lacrosse related and really? it was just more because it was drawing attention mm-hmm. yeah and it was crazy I was walking across the lawn where I went from the big like commencement speech over to my individual um departmental graduation ceremony and a someone from the media stopped me they had no idea who I was they're like hey do you know where um you know this major's graduation which was Yardley's major because they were trying to get over there to because they were giving Yardley um an honorary diploma right. um and I was like oh i don't know because I actually didn't know um but I was like they have no idea that like I'm one of her closest friends yeah and certainly not bringing that up like let's yeah. just go um but it was just interesting that summer it was kind of weird because right when it happened um like I said the whirlwind of playoffs we it's like um, at the end of your yeah it was right at the season. end of the season we always played Northwestern right after ACC so it was uh the weekend we had flown back from uh, Chicago we had a super mm-hmm. emotional game um against Northwestern we went into double overtime and ended up losing even though we were up by three goals I think um there's a lightning delay that was hour and a half or so lightning delay we were up by three we were over 80 percent completed the game so if the officials would have called the game we would have won and then we went back on the field they ended up tying it up we went to overtime we ended up losing it was just like crazy crazy game um very well played it was one of my favorite games to play in despite the fact that we lost um came back and then everything um with Yardley happened and then we were as a team trying to decide whether we wanted to play um NCAAs we had gotten a bid to the tournament and um collectively made the decision that we are gonna play we got Towson the first round, which is pretty cool because a lot of us are from Baltimore, yeah. Annapolis area. And so many of the girls on the Towson, um, all knew each other. Yeah. We all knew each other. And so it was really cool to be mm-hmm. able to play against, um, people that were already so close to us and close to Yardley. Uh, it was a really emotional game. I think we were all just so spent after yeah. we got matched up with UNC, which if you, play ACC lacrosse you know and have you know played in ACC school you know that it just sucks because when it comes to tournament time because you know that you're going to be matched up at some point in the first round just geographically because of where you are with an ACC school and so it's like a team that you've already seen regular season already seen at the ACC tournament and then now you're seeing them again early on even though you're two potentially top five teams you're seeing them second round of um, the tournament but we just were like totally I mean, UNC spanked us that day. Wow. No, Um, I I imagine. I mean, to be, you know, between 18 and 22 years old and to, and she was a leader on your team, Mm -hmm. um, to lose someone so tragically and unexpectedly. Yeah. Like just processing that, I feel like would take so much. Yeah. And we had so much support. It was really cool to see how many 
high school lacrosse programs or club programs were just sending us little notes in the mail just saying, hey, we love you. We're thinking about yeah. you. We support you. You guys are so strong. We look up to you. Yeah. Just I think little we did things that. like that. I think we sent you something. Did you? Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so cute. But that was true. I mean, everyone, every yeah. program across yeah. the country. It's just not something that you can, one, you can't get through without support yeah. um, from community. And that certainly was was present and felt on many different levels. Wow. So that was really cool to see everybody step so up. do you guys, uh, like, and I think you can speak to a little bit about the One Love stuff, but is there anything you guys do as a team or as former teammates that is an honor of her or yeah. traditionally? Or? Yeah, they always do a One Love game. Um, in fact, if you go to Klockner, they have the One Love flag. Um, so it's like, oh. you know, American flag, Virginia flag, um, and then a One Love flag that's at our stadium, which is really cool. Going back just to see just, you know, the support um, – I don't know, from the administration. I think that was something that was a little tricky. Um, having graduated for my class, Yardley's class, we didn't have that instant support of mm-hmm. a team going back that fall. It seems like I was really close with girls that were younger than me, and I know they had so much support on campus when they came back to to make sure that they were honoring Yardley and everything that they were doing as a team and to make sure that mentally that they were okay and if they ever needed to talk to somebody. But for us that graduated, it was like we were out in the real world, yeah. and we didn't have that immediate just um, support system. So I think that was challenging. But coming to Denver, I think I was really fortunate that I had awesome teammates, awesome coaches that were aware mm-hmm. of what had happened. And I know my first, like first weekend there, school hadn't even started yet. And one of the girls, um, came up to me and just was like, Hey, you know, if you ever need anything, one of her best friends was on the UVA team, like, let me know. And that meant so much to me that yeah. she was aware and, um, that it wasn't something that I can't come talk to these people about, yeah. even though they weren't there. And so that meant a lot to, Absolutely. That's so important to know you have the support. And I think it is one of those difficult subjects that you don't want to press someone about. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, Because I'm sure it was just really hard. And I think just even now, you know, almost 10 years later, nine years later, um, a lot has shifted, you know, in society Mm -hmm. and raising awareness about, you know, healthy relationships versus, you know, relationships that are not good and just violence against women overall is so prominent, so in our face, um, which I think, and it's so important we talk about, I mean, then these stories have been happening forever. And, um, I think what they're doing is, it's really cool to bring because they're bringing it, it to is. college campuses. They're right? bringing it to college campuses and even at the high school level. And okay. they've modified some of the teachings to make sure that it's age appropriate. Yeah. But it is something that now that I'm in the high school world all the time, being, you know, working and coaching at a high school, I, you just forget what it's like mm-hmm. to be a high schooler sometimes. And now I can't and even imagine with social, social media. media. Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh my it is insane like they just constantly I'm constantly taking their phones away and it's to no fault of their own it's not like they're doing anything bad it's just they don't know how to unplug and we're guilty of that too and we didn't even you know like we had it I think in college you know Facebook in high school but Instagram not till later in college and so it's just something that is just not a world that we were had to go through during that particular part of our life there's you know yeah temptation and struggle with social media at, at any age, but that is just such an impressionable age where, you know, different things matter. And yeah, it's crazy. We were talking about that. I was with, um, girls that I've grown up with and and played sports with all growing up. And we were just talking about how we're so glad we, you know, didn't grow up with all of that. Like, and, um, thinking now, and I think about the girls I coach too, and, you know, I follow some of them on Instagram and, you know, it's just, you have to be careful about what you're putting your, out there about mm-hmm. yourself. I mean, even me too. Um, but it just, we have to be so much more aware and which is, I think good and bad, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The good that it's brought, but also the, you know, yeah. I'm going to say evil, but it is pretty sad. I mean, they even have like studies now about how like you can, I don't know, avoid addiction in your mm. toddler with iPads yeah. and like stuff like that. And it's like, what the heck, what is our world come to that we have to like avoid addiction because it truly changes your brain. Yeah. Um, 
and kids that are so young. So I do, my heart goes out to, to all the young people. Yeah, to all the young people <laughs> struggling. Yeah. Um, well, cool. I mean, that's, that was such a incredible moment. I imagine in your life, incredible as meaning like just insert mountable yeah. in yep. emotion. Um, and probably defining in a lot of ways. So I imagine it sticks with you and something you it definitely does share when you can. Yeah. And it's cool. I got the opportunity to actually run, um, a complete one love workshop at the university of Louisville. So they believe it's their sophomores. They do some sort of, um, just kind of like growth event workshop and they chose one love foundation the year that I was there. So I was able to come in and help, um, just direct that and speak with every single sophomore athlete at the University of Louisville, uh, which was really cool. I think being a part, it was hard. I didn't realize because that was the first time that I truly like I became like certified in teaching the curriculum and mm. that part. So you had to go through. A so whole I went, process. yeah, I went through that and um, and that wasn't hard to kind of go through what we would be talking about. But we did a separate um, viewing of the video that they have, the One Love video that kind of you know, kind of simulates the, you know, Yardley and George's relationship and her friends, but it's, there are many things that are different too. And I hadn't, I made the mistake of having not watched that prior to screening it with my team. And I, I, I don't know, like I was good in the training and then the next day we were showing it and I didn't really think twice about it, but there was just some similarities that were like very, you know, very consistent with, um, what happened with Yardley that I, like lost it and I didn't know that that was going to happen. And so I just kind of like went up to my office and just like was crying. And that was nice to have that staff be able to like put their arm around me. And it had been a while, I think since we had, I don't know, since I've had had a moment like that, that it like truly was hitting me. And every once in a while I'll get together with like girls that are on my team. I'm lucky that I have girls that played at UVA with me out here in Virginia because we're so close and we're able to, you know, talk about that type of stuff. And it is private that nobody can relate to, you know, that I know of unless you were on the team with me. Um, and so it's nice to have those people. And in that moment, it was nice to have people that even though they weren't there, you're in the lacrosse community, they know what was happening. And, um, so that was good. And then later that week we did the whole workshop with, um, all the sophomores. So it was a lot to happen in one week, but it was, it was good. I think just to kind of like, not resurface things, but I mean, people don't realize how, how much you can like, yeah, you totally, and not even consciously, you just, you know, you haven't thought about it in a while. Life goes on. Like, you know, what are you doing? And then all of a sudden a moment comes up that you're just like, Oh, okay. Wasn't capable of that. Um, but it's, it's good. Just again, like I said, the people that surround you are the ones that can help you just like move, move through it and work through it. That's the important things that, is working through it. It's not moving on. It's not then, okay, now I just push it back until the surprise next moment, you know, a couple years later that it pops up. Um, but that was really cool to be able to talk in front of, um, all of those athletes and share it on a bigger platform beyond just lacrosse. Yeah. Because it's so relevant, um, in the college world and absolutely it was cool to, to be able to do that and see all of them doing the workshop. Yeah. That's awesome. I think, and yeah, it's definitely been a story on my mind too. And something I want to be doing with this project is highlighting stories that, um, you know, were a part of the lacrosse world, but are, have such a big, greater impact Mm -hmm. overall. Um, well that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so a little lighter topic. Um, the kind of landscape of lacrosse in Colorado Mm -hmm. has grown a lot and Mm -hmm. you've obviously been a huge part of you know helping that especially on the girl side yeah um so what are your roles because you have many roles at the moment right yes um what are your roles now and kind of how are you seeing especially youth lacrosse kind of evolving here yeah it's interesting so first thing that I always like to preface is that people from the outside of Colorado think that girls lacrosse is just like absolutely like growing out of control and it really hasn't it stayed pretty consistent there's growth year to year but there truly hasn't been any sort of boom in the eight years that I've been out here of just you know girls flocking to the sport I think there's many different contributors I think um you know 
access to good coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, there just aren't the people here that grew up playing lacrosse that are able, you know, moms and dads I'm talking about at the youth level yeah. that are able to come in. It's a lot of people that are learning lacrosse for the first time that are teaching the kids at the youth level. Um, so that's one piece of it. Mm-hmm. Then the second piece, soccer is a spring sport yeah. here. I don't know what it was in Idaho. Is it a spring? No, or? it's a fall sport. Okay. So yeah. same thing on the East coast. Mm-hmm. It's a fall sport. So that takes a lot of athletes away from the sport because yeah. soccer is huge out here. Um, and like any place you can start playing soccer when you're three years old and just, yeah. you know, running around kicking a ball and it's fun. Whereas across, it takes a little bit more coordination and you can start them young and put a stick in their hand, but for them to truly grasp mm-hmm. the concepts of the sport and, uh, feel skillful enough that they enjoy it. You know, half yeah. the kids are like, I can't catch it. So I don't really like this. <laughs> yeah. Um, which they're, you know, I'm always like, put a pocket in their stick, then they'll catch it. And oh, they'll I know. Learn that's how to like, whole other know. debate. I, yeah thoughts about that too yeah Yeah. um but so that's a thing I think that kind of like um restricts growth a little Mm -hmm. bit but it is growing which is the key thing um and there's definitely a lot of people in the community that want to see the sport continue to grow so I think that the um I don't know the people that the minds that are here and kind of controlling Mm -hmm. um lacrosse are in it for the right reason and want to see that. But I currently am the executive director for Colorado girls youth lacrosse. So I oversee, um, and manage all 28 youth programs in the state of Colorado. Um, we, yeah, it's pretty, I know it's like, that sounds like a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, when I moved back here after coaching at Louisville, my friend Allie was like, our executive director is leaving. She had been in the position, I mean, no joke, I think since Girls Across started yeah. here. Um, her name's Kate Drescher. She's an awesome woman and has just done so mm-hmm. much for the sport of Girls Across here in Colorado. She's like one of the founding fathers, I feel like, cool. out here. Um, but she was leaving and um, and I was like, okay, sure, like let's see what this is about and ended up getting voted in. And I've been in the role a little over a year now and um, have really tried to kind of bring it up to speed just with... Um, where lacrosse is, I think coast, co- both coastlines have mm-hmm. progressed so far and it's kind of crazy. California, um, I think is leaps and bounds beyond Colorado is. Yeah. And I've connected with a lot of people, um, on the West coast, really, I mean, East coast, we can gain so much, but they don't have the pers- same perspective of how to grow the sport because the sport is so, um, established out there. Yeah. So it's cool to kind of talk to people, Oregon, um, California, and really are the people that I connect with to see how I need to grow, what has really worked for them, what hasn't worked for them. Cause that's, what's truly going to be able to impact and and influence, um, the way that we grow the sport here. Mm -hmm. So, um, we're, you know, on the move as far as trying to make sure that there are good things in place. And, um, one of the things that got voted in last year is a school district restriction. So previously for rec lacrosse, you've been able to play. It doesn't matter where you live. You can just go play for whatever program mm-hmm. that you want. And mm-hmm. to me, that seems a little crazy because it gets away from what you sports are all about, which is playing with girls in your community and growing organically. And, um, you know, being able to walk right. to practice down the street at your elementary so you school. you kind of stack teams. Yeah. And, and so people are stacking yeah. teams and, and I get it. I, truthfully, I think it's more like the parents and it is yeah. the coaches that are trying to accomplish that type of thing. But at the end of the day, that's not what rec sports are about. Um, you should have a balance. You should have kids at various different levels. Um, but then I also get that we're also not at a place where, you know, rec programs can support a team like in every grad year um, mm-hmm. or grade level. So there is going to be some mixture and I have to keep my mind open to the idea that what I see is like perfect, these categories and mm-hmm. you play in this area. And for that team, you have to have some sort of flexibility because we just don't have like the numbers yet. But my hope is that with putting that restriction, it does kind of force the hand of parents and force the hand of club directors to truly grow in their area versus being able to fill their teams by taking kids from other areas. Yeah. Because I think that that is kind of a little bit of a cop out because then you're just like, Oh, well, I've got my teams. I don't really care about going into elementary schools and doing free clinics yeah. or, you know, making sure that, you know, these kids are being able to practice 10, 15 minutes from the house. Mm-hmm. Some kids drive 40, 45 minutes to a rec practice. And I'm like, we can't have that. That's not yeah. what parents should be doing during the week. Um, driving, you know, kid from this place to that place. That's not what kids should not be spending that much time during the week um, at the elementary, middle school age level to get to, again, a rec practice. This is not something yeah. that, you know, is the 
club level that we get, you're going to, you know, you're paying more money, you're driving further, um, but you're making that decision. This should be, I don't know, equal access yeah. to, to those in the community, no matter. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that, like, I know in Idaho, they've definitely experienced that. And especially in California too, it's, um, you try to play where you live, but when that program isn't great, you might go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, I think that's, that makes sense and is important. What's kind of your favorite grade or level level to coach? Yeah. I think I'll start with my least favorite because that kind of like (laughs) narrows it down. I think the hardest level to coach is really like seventh, eighth graders Mm -hmm. because some, you know, some of them are super serious about it. They've already, they know that this is something that they want to pursue super competitively. So you have like that spectrum and then you have the kid that's still just doing it for fun and it's social and, um, you know, there's not much drive behind it, which is neither is wrong. Mm -hmm. Both of them should be on this team. Both of them should be, you know, equally, um, granted this opportunity to play because there's so much beyond just, oh, the goal of playing college across. You have social development, physical development. Um, there's just so much to be learned from sports. But I think that that's the hardest because you, you definitely have that mixture of like, why am I here? Yeah. Um, and so I think I struggle with that. And also I think it's an age where you got to step up. You're almost a teenager. You're almost in high school. And, you know, the silly stuff not that it always needs to be put behind, but practice is not the place where it's yeah. appropriate anymore. It's more serious practices. And I was always such a serious and focused kid that like I would get super frustrated at practices when kids would be goofing off, be like, yeah. why aren't they focused? And like get really frustrated about it. And I think as a coach, when I'm out of practice of the, that age where they're now at the age that you can hold them accountable, mm-hmm. they understand what it means. They understand that there are consequences when I'm not like that, but they're still willing to press the boundary and, you know, like yeah. I said, maybe. Or like whine and complain. Yeah. And, yeah. You so have I to think that call that's hard. That. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. We're <laughs> not doing an, that. This isn't up for discussion. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I think that's, and it's not that it's your least favorite. It's just, it's definitely Difficult. the most challenging. Yeah. Um, I love coaching the little, little guys because mm-hmm. they, there is no expectation. It doesn't matter how many times they mess up. It's just so fun to see them like running around getting to to just be introduced to the sport that I love so much and I care so much about and it brings me joy to see you know just the fun that they get to have at practice um and then I would say I mean high you know high level kids at any level are fun to coach no matter where they are on the spectrum if you see a gifted kid at any level I think it's fun to just be able to get your hands on them and mold them and help them grow um I think that's probably my favorite, no matter what level they are. If you just have a kid that really loves the sport, is naturally gifted in it, mm-hmm. to be able to give them um, the coaching that they need to get better is pretty cool because typically they're quick learners. You're yeah. just like, oh, yeah. It's fun to see job. a kid get yeah. better quickly. Yes. Um, so, would you, you kind of mentioned this, but yeah. um, when it comes to learning the fundamentals of lacrosse, I think girls are at a disadvantage from the get-go with their equipment. Yeah. So (laughs) what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I am all about throw a pocket in the stick. Um, Like, I don't think it matters. I would say don't put your kids in, if your parent's listening, like don't put your kids in boy sticks. Put a a pocket in a girl's head. Yeah. Um, But I think that that, and I'm talking like, you know, third grade and below. Right, like getting them the motion, right. getting them the confidence that they, they yeah. can catch the yeah. ball. And I think the argument against that is like, well, then when you do put the pocket in, then they're not going to be able to cradle properly. Yeah. And I get, I totally get that. But I think that when you're introducing it at such a young age, it's not going to make a difference. Yeah. Like we just want to get kids hooked to the sport. And the number, like number one complaint is that it's not fun because the ball is always on the ground yeah. and there's an easy, not, it's not a, you know, yeah. No, I completely agree with that. Um, And I agree about, I don't think it's about putting them in a boy's stick because I think that is a, it's a totally different motion. I mean, I think a boy's stick and like what's going on. But now with new women's mesh sticks, um, which I haven't played a lot with, but it is a little bit of a different feeling. Um, 
but it is some progress. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, at the youth level that could be helpful. Um, but yeah, like they get these little trainer sticks that are flat yeah. and wide. Well, and that's, what's hard like, too is parents. I lacrosse equipment is expensive. Yeah. That's and the other huge if barrier. you're a parent and you're buying equipment, it's your kid's first season, second season, no, you shouldn't be going out and spending 200, 250 bucks yeah. on a stick. But after season one or two, if you know your kid is going to be playing for minimum another season to two seasons, that's yeah. you need to invest because yeah. it is insane, the technology and the sticks these days. And when you do start with a starter stick, which is, again, super appropriate for kids that are just trying yeah. to sport because you don't want to break the bank on something that maybe they're into, maybe they're not into. Yeah. But the second that they do decide the ability that they have with that newer equipment, um, more advanced equipment is leaps and bounds beyond a starter stick. So I definitely encourage parents after the first season to two seasons, you should be out of that starter stick immediately and into something that's more advanced. Yeah. And I sometimes, you know, especially with my little girls, I was coaching third graders, um, you know, like use my stick. Yeah. Yeah. Let me know what you think. Yeah. Oh my (laughs) gosh. Just so they can like, have a full length stick in their hand too. And like, yeah. you know, feel that difference because they, they know they have something to work towards. And, yeah. I, and I think that there is, I think girls, little girls get discouraged when they're not mm-hmm. being able, especially if they have brothers and, like, and their brothers okay. are yeah. like passing, passing and catching. Back and forth. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah. Any way we can combat that I think would be cool. Yeah. First thing I do when I get to a clinic or I just casually like during the drills and walking around, like yeah. taking kids sticks out of their hands, messing yeah. with the stringing. Um, cause par- you know, and parents don't know. No, they don't, know. they don't. And not that they shouldn't know. I mean, yeah. it's totally, they just hand the kid the stick right from the store and don't ever touch the stringing on it. Yeah. And then you are just like, Oh my gosh, like this is, you know, no wonder you can't catch yeah. your stick literally hasn't been touched since you bought it. Like when you buy a stick, it is meant to be touched and it's meant to be, you know, messed around with and broken yeah. in and, um, but sometimes, kids don't know Sometimes how. they get broken. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then kids don't. And that's also the difference between boys and girls is boys are constantly like, Oh, I'm going to string my own stick. Yeah. Like, Oh, I'm going to put this in and that in. And they're just fixated with like messing with their stick and making alterations. And girls are like, I don't know, like yeah. coach, can you do this? Yeah. And you're like, yes, but you need to learn how to do this too. Because you know, as you get older, I know, I don't know many people that will let other people touch the stringing on their stick. Yeah. Like that's kind of as a player, like I'm not letting other people touch my stick. Yeah. Like I want to make any changes to it the way I want to make them. And, um, so it's interesting to see the difference between boys and girls and boys are just so fixated on what cool new pocket they could put in and girls have no idea what yeah, pockets in their own first place. Like I have maybe strung a handful of sticks in my yeah. life. But yeah. I think boys, yeah, there's definitely like, there's like kind of this like subculture art yeah. form of, yeah. you know, different colors and mesh and different mm-hmm. strings. Um, very cool. Well, was there anything else that you wanted to dive into? No, I think kind of in my transition from college lacrosse to high school lacrosse, what a big difference that was and how much I see the impact that I can have at the high school level Mm -hmm. um, compared to the college level. It's, I don't think I expected the difference. I don't know what I expected going from college into high school, but it's been last year was really awesome and just very interesting at the same time. I think you I wish we had one of my Valor girls here to speak on this, but I know I came in and just was like a total shock to their system because I'm a very serious structured coach. Mm-hmm. And I think that they hadn't quite had that kind of a coach in there yet. And um, the first couple of games were rough and they were like, who the heck is this lady? And I was like, if I, gosh, I forget. It was our second game of the season I think and like I don't think that they realize how long I've been in Colorado and um even when I was coaching at DU I was running a club team I was officiating the high school games that was the other thing I wanted to talk to you about oh yeah yes so I have been involved at every level um and so I don't think they realized how much I knew about high school lacrosse like I know all the players that we're playing against I know the coaches that we're playing against and so I mean I love to scout I would say that's one of my biggest strengths as a coach and so um one I was surprised at the scouting that is um, accessible in at the high school level like I was doing film exchanges with coaches wow. and I was like I didn't know that like yeah coaches at the high school level were doing this but like let's go this is my favorite thing and I cool. love this and so and I'm fortunate enough to be full-time at Valor so I get to do that type of stuff still during the day That's cool. um and so I had our scouting report 
up for this game and we were not following it whatsoever I'm like what's going on like Mm -hmm. what the heck and I blew up at them I mean blew up at them after the game and I was like raise your hand if you read the scout and and know what our scout is and not a single person raised here and I go that's our issue and like walked out of the locker room I was furious I mean I had spent but those are that's high expectation for yeah for the high school level yeah Yeah. and I think that's um not necessarily I mean all the coaches that I'm friends with here in Colorado provide some sort of a scout to their team so I don't think that piece is unique I definitely think probably the depth of the scout might be uh, you know a little bit more in depth of what we're doing but um the school that I'm coaching at definitely has high expectations mm-hmm. as far as athletics goes. And so this is not unique. If they're playing any other sport at Valor, this is not, you know, they've been through this. This yeah. is not a lacrosse only type of thing. Um, but we did not make that mistake again. That's good. They got the, they got the hint. They got the memo <laughs> that scout is important. Um, and we didn't have to go through that, but that was kind of, I don't know, I guess the, the biggest transition would have been, um, just kind of realizing how much you have to teach them how to do things versus assuming that they know things. Yes. Um, cause they truly don't. And it's like, some of them are so skilled that you just assume that they know things and you're like, no, they're just doing it because it's, it, that's what comes natural yeah. to them. It's not cause they know what they're doing. And so that piece is kind of cool to be like, yeah. Well in high school about. you can coast, um, a little bit with, if you have the talent and the mm-hmm. skill, but if you mm-hmm. don't have the lax IQ, you're not going to be successful beyond yeah. that. So learning that earlier, I yep. think before going into college is super important. Um, okay. And then touching real quick. So you've had a pretty extensive officiating background, yes, which, um, I think is one of officiating is so important. Yeah. Um, but also one of the hugest frustrations yeah. of <laughs> yeah. people. And then especially with all the rules changes. So yeah. how, what's kind of the motivation for you behind that? Yeah. So I started officiating when I was in high school just okay. as a way to make money. Yeah. I was doing like little kid youth games. And I remember I was officiating before I could drive. Cause I remember my mom driving me to games, little youth games on the weekends, like sitting in the parking lot when I was officiating games. And then I'd like come out and yeah. we'd drive home. Um, and then when I was in college during the summer, my little sister was still playing club lacrosse. So I would go, um, to all the tournaments with my family okay. and while she was playing, like I'd watch her games, but in between I would go ref middle school games, um, at these, you know, summer tournaments. And then when I, um, graduated, um, it just kind of like was natural as a way, especially my, uh, second year of grad school as a volunteer assistant at DU. Mm-hmm. I was just had to be creative about my work. Making money. And so, yeah, <laughs> making money. So babysitting was a huge yeah. thing. And then officiating, which I had always done. And they're so desperate for officials anywhere, anywhere. but especially a non-traditional area like Colorado. Um, so I was immediately like, they're like, yep, here you go. Like, we're putting you on all these games. And Liza was the best when it came to um, allowing me to keep pursuing that even when I was a full-time staff member at DU so um and now I've you know worked all the way up I referee division two and three games um which is cool it's unfortunate that we're an area where there's only two division one teams and one of them I can't officiate because I'm an alumni Mm. um and former employee at DU so I could only do like locally CU games but um I don't have the time to to actively do that but it is cool to be able to um do division two and three games we have a lot of division two schools here in Colorado so how do you get into that um you take a class typically it's like a one-day classroom Mm -hmm. and then the second day is on field um now the structure of um if you're trying to like get higher if you're just trying to do high school youth stuff then that's typically I'm trying to think it's the weekend leading into the season in the spring that we do the training. Um, so I run the youth training. Okay. Um, so day of classroom, it's a play day, you know, for mm-hmm. youth teams. And then you do your on-field training. We have people, mm-hmm. mentors that are yeah. walking around teaching you angles and positioning and um, helping you blow your whistle yeah. or pull your flag or whatever it is. Um, all the information for us, at least, is on the CW LOA website. But okay. you can always, like, if you're anywhere, you could just go on to uslacrosse.org um, and they and go under the officials tab, and then it will navigate you to your local board, which will then be able to provide information on how to sign up for these classes and take them. Um, cool. I used to get made fun of so much for it. Like, my <laughs> friends would just rag on me. I'd, like, yeah. come home in my stripes. And I'm like, you know what? Like you're, you know, this is like college. I'm like, well, you're making like, 
you know, $13 an hour lifeguarding and I'm making like $45 an hour yeah. refing. So you can go and, yeah. you know, because <laughs> but it's I'm an important, it's money. an important aspect of the game Completely. that we forget about. Yeah. Um, and, and it helps you so much as a player it, yeah, and a coach, like a player just coach. to know like why the official is making a call, why they might've missed it. Like just being able to have a level headed conversation. Like as a coach, I know like, you can get heated on the sideline if you don't feel like a game is going your way as far as calls go. And to, I think, be able to go into that conversation being a little bit more educated than the normal coach and back your, you know, back your argument up with facts um, straight from the rule book that you know are true and real. um, Because it is kind of interesting. The And like you were saying, like with the rules changes, it's really hard. I mean, sometimes you like can't hold it against an official when they blow a call about something because it's like, well, every single year our rules are different. Um, But that is something that I feel like at least I'm ahead of the time. Like I know like free movements coming into high school. Well, I've already been officiating it the past two years at the college level. So I feel now more confident as a high school coach to be able to teach my girls and take advantage of those rules Which sounds so fun. I know. Aren't (laughs) you jealous? Because I am. I am. But... Um, I think where I get frustrated with officiating and I don't blame anyone. I just think it's the system, but, um, like such at the youth level when they're making calls and then they're not, it's not a teaching moment. Yeah. Yeah. You got to teach my girls what you're doing. Like they don't know. And then they do the same thing. Like you're calling shooting space over and over and over again. Yeah. And that's where it is an advantage to now on the flip side, like officiating helps you be a better coach and player, but being a coach and player makes you a better official too, because, Sometimes officials are like, I know this is wrong and it's by the book. And if you take an official that's never played the sport and hasn't been around it and, and turn them into a lacrosse official, they'll be able to make the calls, but they don't know why they're making that call. It's like you recognize and identify Mm -hmm. this is incorrect and this is improper and I blow my whistle and this is the foul, but you don't know how to, you know, how to advise a kid to, you know, just yeah. wait for her to turn her stick just a little bit more and present it to you before you go for that check yeah. or, you know, whatever the foul is. And they don't know how to yeah. coach a kid into that. So I agree. I definitely try to take it upon myself as a official when I'm doing youth games, which is very rare, unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, to just teach them. And it's funny because you can tell them a number of times on the field and they still don't get it. <laughs> so you can tell them over and over and <laughs> But it's okay because we're all trying. Yes. Oh, well, this has been great. Thank you yeah, so much. Thank you. Um, I, I can't wait for everyone to hear this episode because I think there's a lot of interesting stuff. So good. Well, thank you. it was worth the conversation. Oh, and... absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to plug? I don't think so. Right. I mean, we covered a lot. It's... A lot of lacks out here and yeah. it's fun stuff. So Good. I love being a part of it. I love being in Colorado and glad I'm here and back. And it's going to take a lot for me to ever leave again. That's for sure. Yeah. I just love it out here. Awesome. We'll keep growing the game in Colorado then. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my episode with Lauren Benner. I really enjoyed our conversation. I think she's so passionate and so honest and real about her experience and the game and lacrosse and the growth of the game and what she's trying to accomplish with uh, with her teams and, and with lacrosse in Colorado. I think it's really admirable. You know, a girl from Maryland goes to Virginia and now ends up in Denver and never wants to leave. And wants to coach lacrosse and make that happen for for young girls all over. So I really applaud Lauren for all of her hard work, for really making lacrosse her passion and and really owning it. And I I just really applaud that. We are going to dive into a little bit of a fact check. Lauren and I talked a lot about a lot of different things in this episode, so I'm not really going to cover everything. Um, but there were a few highlights that I wanted to make sure that I go over. Obviously, our discussion about Yardley Love and uh, the just tragic experience that her and her teammates had to go through is top of the list because I remember when this happened, I, I was a freshman in college, like I mentioned on the episode, and it was tragic and horrible and unbelievable, um, especially because... Uh, George, her killer, was a lacrosse player too. It was really 
kind of earth shaking for the entire lacrosse community. But I did want to, if you want to know more about what happened with that, it, it is available. I mean, you just, you type in yearly love online and um, you'll get a lot of that information if, if you're curious about the full story. Um, but aside from that, I really just wanted to highlight the One Love Foundation because they are doing a great thing, making education and awareness available to the college population and different going to different universities and and kind of giving the resources and tools that people need. Um, I did actually reach out to them as I was producing this episode just to let them know that, hey, I, I got to record a conversation with one of your Lee's former teammates and um, I just wanted to make sure that they knew that we were going to be mentioning them. And I got a really nice note back, you know, super grateful. They um, sent me a couple articles that I will include in the uh, post on laxallstars.com. So you can check it out. You can also join their mailing list. Um, you can, they have a great website to kind of log in there and, and see what's available. Um, but the resource that they sent me that they kind of decided that would be good to highlight is their article called 10 Signs of an Unhealthy Relationship. And I think this is uh, valuable because a lot of people get into relationships and get really wrapped up in the person they're with and all, all the time that they're spending with that person. And once you're so close to something like that, you don't sometimes don't realize if it's unhealthy for you or for your partner or how it's really affecting you deep down because you're so kind of enthralled in this emotional and, and strong, passionate connection, whatever it may be. So anyways, maybe this resource will help you um, if you feel like you need to assess that a little bit. So I will include that in the post along with some other information about the One Love Foundation. They're doing a great thing. And um, I just definitely wanted to highlight your Lee story and make sure that the experience that was felt that Lauren knows that the, you know, even someone far away on the opposite coast, um, you know, was definitely thinking about them as well. I love how Lauren talks about the differences that she kind of noticed going from coaching college to coaching high school and how she really has high expectations as a high school coach. And she's instilling some really strong values and kind of athletic awareness and, um, just really important things for these high schoolers that will definitely be carried with them should they decide to go on and play at the collegiate level. Um, but just overall, I really appreciate you kind of her candidness in admitting that like, Hey, they're in a tough spot, you know, when they're trying to, to do everything. And there's so much noise surrounding young people today and social media and all this stuff. But the importance of staying focused and staying true to your team and to yourself, if you really want to, reach those goals is something that coaches do have a responsibility in reminding their players and, and holding them accountable. And if it means getting pissed off and, and yelling and, and reminding them that you care in that way, then that's that's the one way to do it. So I really appreciate kind of Lauren's thoughts surrounding that. And I, I wish her the best of luck in growing the program at Valor Christian. It sounds like she has some great buy-in from, you know, players and, and parents um, and support there. So I think there's a real opportunity to grow that program and, and grow all the levels of youth lacrosse across Colorado. I also really like Lauren's ideas about kind of growing the game and the importance of creating the community within uh, the local areas that teams are being formed and maintaining that. I think it is, you know, something that happens in, with club programs across different uh, states that are just developing. You know, maybe your kid is a really good athlete and you want them on the best team. And sometimes that, that just ends up stacking a team with really good players and, and there's not really the semblance of competition surrounding um, these, you know, youth leagues. So I like her idea about maintaining kind of the ge geography surrounding the teams and, and trying to build within the, the neighborhoods and communities that they're a part of. Lauren and I also talk about kind of the equipment disadvantage that girls youth lacrosse players have when they're trying to develop their skills, given the fact that sticks don't have a lot of give and, or a lot of pockets. And I've definitely seen that in my coaching experience that it's discouraging when, when girls can't catch and throw as well as their older brother or younger brother even. 
So I wonder if other people feel that way. Are we alone in this opinion that maybe girls are at a different disadvantage of learning the fundamentals of lacrosse when it comes to equipment? Um, let me know what you think, because I think it's something that should be talked about more. I sometimes do loosen my girls' sticks so they can at least get the feel of what it's like to actually catch a ball. And then, you know, after some reps, tighten it up and see how different that feels. Finally, it was so fun to talk to Lauren about her perspective on officiating. I think that's a part of the game that gets lost and forgotten about a lot. And it's important that we as players and coaches also recognize the importance of officials and the importance of them knowing the rules, teaching the rules, and are completely vital to the growth and uh you know, execution of this game being played. So if you have had any inkling in being an official or being a part of um, what what it means to become an official, please reach out to your local community and your local chapter of youth lacrosse. It's very easy to kind of go through the training like Lauren mentions. I'm sure it's very similar in a lot of other places. They're always looking for officials because we can't make these games happen. We can't make these leagues happen without officials. All right, that's all I got. Thank you so much for listening. As always, rate, review, subscribe to us, Apple Podcasts. We're on Podbean. We're on Pocket Cast. We're on SoundCloud. We are in a lot of places. Also, Lax All-Stars has a ton of other podcast content with the uh, Advanced Lacrosse Podcast, the Game Changer Podcast, most importantly, the Outside the Ache Podcast. This is episode number seven. We have a lot in the pipeline. We're really excited please stay tuned. If you have feedback, please let me know. Cassie, C-A-S-S-I-E at laxallstars.com. Send us a note on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it may be. I will hear about it. Thanks so much. Have a great day.